Welcome back to Confabulation, guys, a podcast sponsored by Our Sisters House, which is a DV advocacy organization with the mission to lead, empower, and educate. And with that said, if you or anyone that you know is suffering or dealing with any form of domestic violence, please contact Our Sisters House at 253 253- 383-4275 or visit our website at www.oursistershouse.com. And today our topic is on living with brain injury and the invisible disability. I'm Beverly with Our Sisters House and we have Michelle that will lead us in to our topic today. And before we go there, I want you to listen up. Our Sister's House is sponsoring a Black History Month trivia that will be on February 18th and February the 25th. There is a link on our website. I believe you can go in and sign up for that. But listen up at the end of the podcast. We are going to give you a hint that you can use when you sign into the trivia on either the 18th or the 25th. So thanks for that. And Michelle, we're going to start off with introduction of who you are and go into our topic. Thanks, really. So, um, Michelle, I'm, I work at our sister's house and I'm one of the advocates and I'm also one of the, I'm an FSW intern. And so something that a lot of people may not know is I actually have a TBI and which is a traumatic brain injury. And I did not get one from domestic violence, but I got one from a car accident. And something that's um, about traumatic brain injuries is they look different on all people. Um, And so usually people talk about traumatic brain injuries. It's usually men. um, And they talk about it. A lot of times you'll hear them from like military and um, how they look back from our veterans. um, Because those are usually the people that we can study. Um, and so I think something that people should know is how it looks different and, um, domestic violence can have traumatic brain injuries and so something, and women can have traumatic brain injuries and our body chemistries all look different. All people look different. Um, and so although my brain injury happened from a car accident, I have to live with it daily and mine was a decade ago. And, um, when I had a car accident, um, I lost the ability to walk and talk and write, and I had to relearn those things. I was actually told that I would probably not go back to college, um, let alone grad school. And I had to take a couple years and, um, basically I was have to, um, if I needed to go to the bathroom, throw a pillow. 
for communication. And um, when I wanted to eat something, it could only be soft foods or like eggs because you can suck on them or um, smoothies through straw. Um, I couldn't even go to the dentist. Like when I went to the dentist, it was basically so they could try to see if I needed orthodontist surgery. Um, and that was a major discussion because you couldn't even open your mouth. Um, and I had to do tons of exercises, um, things like that. And so it all happened. And like, that was just trauma from that. And as much as that was physical, it also had to do with like my brain and how my brain communicated to my body. And so, um, and like the ability to walk, I walked with a cane for a long time. And then without my cane, I walked like a penguin is the best way to say it. Um, and they told me I was never going to walk normally. And so I had this, I had this, I was privileged with the ability that um, because it was a car accident and the financial means that I had, I was able to go and get the resources. And I was also very persistent that um, I didn't want to believe what they had to say. Um, my support system didn't want to believe what they had to say. Um, and so the difference in that situation versus domestic violence is those kinds of means. Now, I'm also a domestic violence survivor. And some of that is um, aftermath of having certain things occur to me where if I was pushed against the wall, had um, choking or things like that, the trauma that did happen. And I can tell you that I am much more tired now. I'm always exhausted, right? And I have to plan around those things. And um, But the amount of trauma or the amount of exhaustion and planning I have to do now versus, versus um, then is very different. And um, I think it's important to realize that um, there's a difference in what knowing that I had a brain injury and how to deal with it, as well as um, the see, like sometimes I don't know. Were, were you going to say that the um, there's a difference for you when it came to knowing that you had a TBI and having the supports and coping skills to um, address that versus um, the aftermath of what could have been going on along the lines of a TBI from domestic violence and not knowing that and not having those resources or in any of the knowledge of those coping skills. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I already knew that. So it was, and I already knew coping skills. Um, so thank you. It was, it was much more helpful. Um, so I think that was, I already had a word for it and I already knew what to expect. And, um, it was something that was really uh, helpful. So when I needed 
a couple of weeks, plural weeks of sleep to recover, I knew I had to give it to myself, not just a couple of days for trauma. Um, I, I gave it to myself. Um, even now when I work, I have to give myself a full day to recover and I have to plan things around that. So these are things that like with a brain injury, um, I have to, I learn to live with and I have to schedule around through. I mean, there are days that I can't come up with words and full sentences. And um, I learned, I, I learned sign language before English. I think in non-English first, um, even if sign is like not a full thing, it's just the way my brain works. It just works differently now. And um, the people around me have, they, they kind of, you learn to live with it and it can be difficult or you, you surround your people that embrace it. And I think I've surrounded people that embrace it. Um, I also wanted to mention Ollie for you. Yeah. Okay. So that's a really, um, when I, a couple years after my brain injury, um, so emotions were not regulated at all. Um, it was a major thing for me. And I do know that it was something for a lot of people with brain injuries is it's not a regulated. Um, it was also after DV, my emotions are not regulated. And I believe that's a lot of survivors. Um, our emotions are heightened. And I mean, it's right. Physical, your brain gets hit. Right. And so I was fortunate to have my dog after the DV incident. And, but before the accident, I didn't have him and he completely changed my life because I, I couldn't handle emotions at all. They were completely all over. I think I went back to, I think they said it was like acting like a three-year-old with how my brain functioned. And it just completely regulated. Once I got my dog, he just tends to help me out um, a lot emotionally, psychologically, I mean, it's a big deal for me personally. Um, and he also can tell me, I mean, I seize or I can seize. Um, so like my lifestyles just change dramatically. Um, and a lot of people can, they may not even know if they can regulate their bodies and things like that. I mean, your brain is, works in so many different ways and, um, it's just things that people don't even realize until something happens and brain injuries can be difficult to see, even if nothing shows up and something shows up or it's everybody's brain is different. And it's something that like one scan could show something or something couldn't be seen. So it's something that, and they're expensive. So like survivors may not have the fort like the opportunity to get it looked at. And even if it is seen, it, it might not be showing up because it could be like a lack of oxygen or they hit their head against the wall, but it wasn't breaking anything, but you have that hit or the constant hits. So these things can affect her emotions. It can affect everything constantly. So those things are really important to recognize. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I did happen to have the opportunity to have 
a dog into my life that helped me figure those things out. And he tells me when I need a break and yeah. So Michelle, when you, um, were, when you first started talking, you said I was privileged. So when you, when you speak to that, you're talking about the privilege of the support group, the privilege of the insurance that you had. And basically what I'm hearing is the, the finances because you're saying how expensive it was. So being that um, TBI is like an invisible disability, the, the signs that come up people may not even attribute it or connect it to TBI, right? You know, like different things, the physical, the emotional, um, the, the, the things that, the suffering that they go through, the emotional, spiritual, and the physical. And be, so would you say that it is one of the, one of many misdiagnosed? Oh, Absolutely. So it took a while for them to even find mine. Mm -hmm. And I was seen by a lot of doctors. Um, and I had a lot of, right, so it was a car accident. In the car accident insurance people were dealing with it. So the funds were between, it, it was a very complicated case, right? So, um, but it, I, I was seeing physical doctors for physical and they kept trying to figure it out why things weren't getting better. And so they were trying to do the scans and they couldn't figure it out. And then they, that's when they're, they're like, it's all in her head. Like I was crazy trying to figure this out. And then they were like, it's not in her head. I mean, it is in her head. Like mm -hmm. they couldn't figure it out. Right. So like, and so it was after, I don't even remember how long. And then they finally figured it out. It wasn't looking normal, like a regular brain injury. And I put regular in quotes because they tend to think brain injuries or that you would want brain injuries to look a certain way. And they don't. They look different on everybody. And so... The thing is, is they do, it takes resources. And I, I do say it really does. I mean, a scan could be, I don't even know what. And I say that because I don't remember because I had a brain injury. And I'm guessing like a CT is like $2,000 or whatever, $5,000. I don't know because I had a brain injury and this is 10 years ago. And so, like, as crazy as it sounds, it may not even show up on those. And so, like, then they have to go through, it affects the motor skills. It, so they're assuming it's physical if it's a motor skill. It is, affects the speech. Then they think it's your jaw. I mean, it affects your, like, it affects everything. It affects your emotions. Then they think it's a psychological issue. I mean, it's all of these issues. And then on top of it, when it's affecting all of this, it does affect your psychological issues and your emotions and your physical does get affected because you're not moving. And it, 
it becomes a whole mind, body, spirit. I mean, it does end up becoming a holistic issue because of that. So it's, it is expensive. And then they miss it because they're not looking for it. I think what also goes into the missing it is um, like the way that the medical field has been set up since it began was based off of researching um, cis white men um, and their experiences, their life. And so all of our understanding of most things in general, um, including TBIs or um, neurological things in general is based off of cis white men. Um, And so that means that like what you mentioned in the beginning when it comes to um, the military, there's a lot of research with TBIs in the military and how that may show. And um, in sports with like the NFL and those kinds of things, there's a lot of research with TBI in, in sport related injuries. And those are two, um, like the ways in which the injury may occur are going to be a lot more consistent in those people that they're researching. Whereas when it comes to a car crash or um, domestic violence, the way in which the, the TBI occurs is a completely different way of be, being injured. And that causes a different way of things to look. And if there's not the research, like if the medical community isn't paying attention to other people and like all of the different situations in which a brain could be affected, then they're not going to know what, when it comes to the individual um, and working with them and being able to understand. And like the story where we were listening, uh, where I know we all listened to um, the story about the woman um, in her case of DV and her TBI and not even having a lot of her neurological symptoms until 15 years later. Mm-hmm. Like there's, uh, it's it's so different in so many different cases. And especially with DV, it's like asphyxiation can cause a TBI and that um, can affect the like memory side of things in different parts of the brain that is typically seen to be affected in um, the general research when it comes to TBIs. So it's like it, it um, the medical field is lacking in in the research and the understanding in general um and i think that's what's hurting the population in general like with not like it first of all it shouldn't take so much money to be able to find out that there's a tbi in the first place Mm -hmm. and then for it to cost money to be able to like rebuild your health from the start all over again um and, and not even, like, know what to look for because they don't even pay attention to people like you. Like, how are, how is there supposed to be able to be resources for everyone like that? Well, on top of that, um, if it doesn't appear to be there, it's automatically dismissed. And um, so, right, like, let's say I'm, I'm taking an example of asphyxiation isn't going to produce a picture for um, in a CT or an MRI that there's a brain injury, it doesn't mean it's not there. So, um, right, like I have a brain injury. It's there. And it was just hard to fi- figure out that there was a brain injury. 
Um, it's clearly there. It's that's why it took so long and it had to be figured out. But like it shouldn't have taken as long because the sooner the treatment, the more likely of success. The other thing is like a lot of and this is just in general, a lot of insurances only do up to 80% of success. And it's why not try up to when the person's like, why are we saying 80%? Like, who's to say how far somebody can go? Like, 80% of what? And like, you're putting a number and limit on people. The other thing is, it, it is, it's, it's putting a number on who can succeed on what, when one person could get to 100% or better to where they were, and one person may not be able to get to 80% because of what happened to them. It's, it's just not right to put a limit on somebody. Let that person's body and abilities be the determining factor. Um, I, I just think putting limits on people is wrong. Uh, sorry, I'm putting my opinion in. It's just personal bias. I'm sorry. Um, at least in this particular issue. Um, <laughs> the other thing is they're looking at all the research. Yes. We've been saying has been on like cis white, a lot of, a lot of the research has been cis white men and it's likely that it's been typical brains, not neuro, uh, neurodiverse or atypical brains. And that's also something to think about. Um, because not every brain is like people have different brains. And so like how their brains, like we've been saying, every brain's different regardless. So if let's say they are a neurodivergent type of brain, that's also going to make how they react different. Um, so I think that's just a really important thing to note as well. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad you brought that up actually. I'm sorry, I want to let Pearl have a chance to speak. Um, but I it's super quick. Um I just wanted to emphasize the the lack of research in neurology in general and how we don't really understand how the brain works fully and like what uh, Michelle was saying about um if it's the jaw that's affected or the speech that's affected, they think it's a jaw problem and there's not a lot of understanding about how the brain is connected to those physical aspects and um with neurodivergence um there's not a lot of research in that and that makes it extra complicated because like lots of uh, like there there's a lot of symptoms of tbi that could um be something that sounds similar similar or is relatable to um someone who's neurodivergent um, and that's just because of like the difference in how your brain is working and the wires are just work. The paths are a little bit different. And so the relatability can be there, but it's not always the same. And sometimes there's a mixture of both, of both neurodivergence in general, and then also having a TBI that just changes how the brain works. Uh, I'm done now with my comment. Thank you. Yeah, Michelle, I just wanted to jump in because um, there was a part that you had mentioned about like once you went back into like employment and then school, how they're 
with barriers to entry. And what I kind of wanted to know was like accommodation wise, like once they did discover that you had a TBI, did you feel that the accommodations was just about your physical abilities or was it also, did they put in consideration of your mental abilities um, and accommodations in that area too? Yeah, so um, I have to say, I grew up with learning disabilities and um, after the accident, I actually transferred schools um, for colleges because I didn't necessarily think the school, the college I was at was the right place for me for accommodation wise. Um, and I went to a different school that was smaller, had a smaller um, like disability services, um, particularly for that reason. Um, and then for like grad school and applying, I did a lot more research and made sure that I found a school that would be more accommodating for my needs, um, and things like that. When I applied for jobs, I personally believe in being upfront about it because I believe jobs, you're not just interviewing them. I'm interviewing, uh, you're, they're interviewing you, but I'm also interviewing them. And so I don't care if they're going to discriminate me based on it to an extent, because I need to feel comfortable in being me when I'm there. And so if it's not the right environment for me, I don't want to be there anyway. Um, as hard, I had, that's just a personal thing. Um, and it really is personal preference on this kind of uh, type of invisible disability, even physical disability, a lot of things are now virtual and you can do it on the computer. Um, but I have to say almost every interview process I've done, even in schools and things like that, I've been pretty upfront about it for that purpose because I need to find a place that specifically works for my needs. And usually I've been really happy when I've been upfront. Um, and I've found that I usually find a place that kind of molds to it um and i usually find communities that tend to mold with it um i don't think everybody feels that way and it is a personal it is a personal preference um but that's how i've managed and advocated on for myself Does that answer your question yeah, that does answer my question. And um, kind of like a, a follow up on that or, or just a thought. Um, when we talk about like disability benefits that people receive, because I know when people apply for that, oftentimes they focus more on your physical ability to do work and they don't put in consideration people's mental capacity to do that work. Um, are you aware or know of how that may affect um, TBI survivors? TBI is absolutely one of the benefits you can get for. I know that for a fact. Same with like mental health. I mean, there's a lot on there. Um, so traumatic brain injury is for sure on there. Like um, 
it's, I mean, you can even get a service animal for traumatic brain injuries. It's one of those things where it, it's a real invisible disability. It is not something to be ashamed of. In fact, I have no problem saying I have one. Um, there are times where I get exhausted. Uh, I don't even remember the word, sorry. Um, where it's a specific fatigue and the fatigue is different. Uh, I don't even know how to explain this fatigue. It is a completely, oh, neuro fatigue. Thank you. The neuro fatigue is a completely different tired from a regular fatigue. And it's just like my brain is just a complete exhaustion where like I, I can't even function. And it's, it's, I don't even remember what a regular tired is compared to a neuro fatigue. And like, I, I almost wish, I, I don't wish, I really don't wish anybody who doesn't know what this feeling is, I hope they never feel this tired. It, it's like one of these, like, like I, I can't even, so one of the things that I really say about like Ollie, when we were talking about Ollie before, he can actually hold his bladder if I can't take him out because I'm so tired. He knows I can't, he know he actually knows I can't take him because it's not safe for me to move. So like, like those are some of the things where it, it's a, so when you say, is it a, like a disability, it's a real disability at some times where I, I have like no word. Like when I say it, when I say I actually plan a day around sleeping, I literally sleep like 20 hours almost. I wake up pretty much just to eat and go to the bathroom and walk the dog through my week to regain all of that from the so much stimulation because stimulation is a lot. So it's one of those. So I do realize like the privilege I had and I learned around it, but I have that, I, I say other people have a privilege of not having this because they don't realize how privileged they are. They get seven days out of the week, even if it's their rest day, because I only have six. I have to take that day. And then we forget how my partner has to deal with it. And if for some reason I didn't have that partner, my future partner would have to deal with it. Or my future kids will have to deal with it. Or my family has to deal with it. I mean, like, this is a real thing that for the rest of my life, I only have six days. It's a lot for whoever, my family, my friends, I have to schedule. And we don't choose this, right? Like, you don't choose to have this so like I have other dis learning disability, whatever I have, but this one I can't avoid every one day a week. I have to, even if I take a break, even if I, so like that's one thing. And I'm sure there are other people with brain injuries that have to do the same thing. Or maybe they're, maybe they can only do six hours or five hours of work a day because that's how their brain works. I'm only functional certain hours of the day. So like, I don't like taking, I don't like taking a full hour for like lunch and stuff because I'm only functional certain hours of the day.
my brain doesn't work later in the day at all. Or else I have to take a certain amount of off in the day to take like a legit rest. Because my brain, my brain really doesn't work. And so imagine realistically what these DV survivors are who don't have the treatment, who are figuring this stuff out on their own, if they're able to figure this out on their own, and they have to learn these strategies on their own with children on the streets. You know, like this is just stuff that we had, they had to like, which is why I say I'm privileged. I have certain non-privileges, but they're privileged. Like, like I see the non-privilege that I have, but they, they, it's, it's stuff that we, I share with some of them, but we don't, it's, it's just a thing to think about. Yeah. And, and speaking further about survivors living with the TBI, it's like, a whole other part of it is like potentially never even knowing about it. And uh, that's a whole reason why we as a, a domestic violence organization are, are like bringing this to light as a, a podcast topic, because it's something that not only our organization, but just anyone who works with DV clients in general, um, like especially shelters, that need to start taking this into consideration and changing their practices because um, like um, in the other story that we um, had listened to, um, she mentioned like sometimes after fleeing a DV situation and like not knowing the, not being aware of the amount of neurological fatigue that they're in at that point um, and getting to the shelter and just crashing for 16 hours straight. Like in a lot of situations, um, the, those that are trying to help like the, um, case managers and such, uh, could get frustrated because it's like, do you not want to try and find housing? Do you not want to try and get help? Do you not want to fix this? Like, and then also the survivor themselves could end up beating themselves up because it's like, I like, why am I not good enough? Why am I so broken? Why can't I like just stay awake long enough or form words enough to be able to keep engaging in all this stuff in order to get my life in the place that I want it to be in? Like, it's something that we just all need to be aware of because like, there's no way of really even knowing at this point how many people could actively be living with a TBI and not even know it and just trying to survive you know, and, um, like, if DV organizations aren't aware of that and aren't taking that into consideration, then they're not, it's not doing justice to our clients, you know. And something to note is after, so it was my TBI, and I also had, um, physical DV, and, after my DV, my thinking style changed again. So I had to figure that out as well. And so, right, like I, I said, I slept nearly two weeks. And, um, but I also had to figure out a new thinking style. And so I had the techniques already 
from the TBI. So I had that that benefit of knowing the TBI was already there. But um, so I already knew I had a brain injury. But if so, I knew how to do it with the DV with a brain injury, um, especially because um, it was just stuff that like my siblings kept if I said, oh, hey, do you happen to remember how I did this? And things like that. So if I, I asked that randomly, I've always done that for the past like years. Um, but it's something that if my thinking style changed again, imagine what these survivors and victims are going through if their thinking style is changing. And their thinking style already changed while they were going through the trauma. So now they're going through it again for the first or second time. And it's, it's, they don't know if it's because that they moved. They don't know if it's because of the brain injury. They don't know if it's like what the reasoning is. And it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And all of that is wrapped up on top of just the DV experience in general and like the way that there's so much mental manipulation that can happen in a in a violent relationship that 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 completely changes your thinking style all all on its own as well so having to cope with that trauma and and come back from the ways that your brain has literally been changed throughout that relationship and then also needing to learn how to cope with the ways it's been changed like physiologically i guess if that makes sense I don't know if those are the right words, but yeah. Yeah, one thing I remember from that piece that we looked over as well was that the we have as a society like sympathy for like football players, um, brain injuries, and we seem to be very well aware of that. But one thing that they pointed out was like when you have a brain injury and it's from domestic violence, it seems like your support system isn't as strong as if it was just TBI because people often associate with domestic violence aren't as sympathetic to that and possibly will just like translate it as like, well, they put themselves in the situation. And so they're not as supported if, if it would have been two separate incidences occasionally because when they are combined as well. And I think that's something really important for advocates as well as family members to recognize too, that, you know, even if you do have this biased opinion about the cycles of abuse and domestic violence, that the TBI is a very serious and long-lasting, um, you know, effect on the individual. It is a lifelong injury. Regardless of whatever opinions you have, it is a lifelong impact on the individual their family members, their friends. Um, and it's something that will affect pretty much anybody that that individual, it, it will affect them in every way, how they make their financial decisions, let alone if they can get a job, what kind of job they can get. Um, their children, how they support their children, um, 
It can also affect their parenting choices and the decisions they do. Uh, it can affect their emotional, uh, their temper. Um, so thinking of it that way, it's really important. And um, also like their bodies, everything. It's, it's just a mind boggling thing when you have one. Thank you, Michelle. Um, yeah, we appreciate that. And again, you know, a TBI is an, in, it's called invisible or known as an invisible disability for a reason. Because I think even as we interact and you initially came on and said, um, I have a TBI, some of you know and don't know. So people wouldn't know and a lot of people don't know until you tell them. Uh, a survivor tells them, I suffer from a TBI. So um, to close, um, <clears throat> excuse me, when, when we, um, uh, Skylar was talking about the medical um, research and all that, it's almost like because we don't see it or we don't see the effects, there's no real case studies on it. Football, they know that when they get hit, it's like a truck hitting them. So there's case studies there showing that there's numerous football players and they have um, um, TBI, right? But people in car accidents or domestic violence, strangulation or whatever, there's no, there's no real case studies showing there's something going on with the brain. There's an injury to the brain. So this was good to me. And um, I want to thank all of our listeners. Thank you all for joining us on Confabulation again. Um, there will be a part two to uh, this TBI, traumatic brain injury. And hopefully we'll have an expert to talk about the residual effects and the invisible effects that people don't really see and how it's handled. Thank you again, Michelle. Thank you, Pearl. And thank you, Skylar. Again, thank you all for listening to Confabulation. And I want to encourage you to check out our Facebook page and get the information on the Black History Month trivia coming up on the 18th and the 25th of um, February. And um, just want to throw out a trivia answer to you. So um, if you didn't know, the best-selling memoir known as I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings was written by Maya Angelou. Write that down and keep it in mind. That's an answer coming up on the 18th and the 25th. Join us for our Black History Month trivia. And again, if you or anyone that you know is experiencing any form of domestic violence, Contact us 
at our sister's house, 253-383-4275. And certainly visit our website, oursistershouse.com. Thanks, everybody, and have a grand weekend.